edition of the Road Dogs podcast. I am your host, Nick Shaw, joined by my cousin and co-host, Josh Shaw. Say hi. Let's just get into this. This is a fun one. I feel like this is a, this is a little different. We're breaking the ice a little on a new idea. I like when we switch it up. It's always fun to talk about movies we love and like maybe, you know, other people haven't seen. But when we do something that's kind of like a little bit more like list oriented or game show, I kind of I, I like it. It's a good switch up. You know, I enjoy our our ten page notes that we have on like each movie we really view in depth. <laughs> like, it's a lot of fun to do the history of Manhunter last week, but there is something really fun about like having just like three pages of notes and being like, let's just rip it, let's just improvise, let's just go wild with this. And let's like maybe pitch some things to people that they've never seen before, which is also kind of part. Yeah, of Yeah, that's the bigger thing. Like, we're going to be on our, our hipster stuff a little bit to be like, well, actually, we are the curators of this collection. You should go watch this movie. So we're going to do some of that and be real real snobs. We are. Um, this week, we will be talking about the Criterion Collection. Um, not just talking about it, but maybe some films that we both think we'd love to see restored and put into the collection. But before we get into that, Josh, I think it's probably important for our audience that we explain what the Criterion Collection is. Absolutely. Criterion Collection, uh, founded in 1984 by Robert Stein, Eileen Stein, and Joe Medjuk. Uh, it's a home video distribution company. You might have seen it. They have the like little half moon C in the corner. They're focused on restoring important classics and contemporary films. We've discussed on this podcast many a time. It's been a reference point for uncut gems or just some of the films that we've discussed that we want to see restored. They do definitive editions of films, so you're not just getting a restoration of the film. You're getting multiple audio commentary tracks, which they were the first company to ever do. Of the directors and the actors and the set producers, you're getting, you know, storyboards from the directors, personal notebooks and journals. You're getting an essay in the booklet. Um, usually they come in one or two discs with many, many supplements, uh, DVDs and Blu-rays. So it doesn't matter the format. You still get a lot of the same features. Uh while they are great and they're fun to look at, they are a company where it's a physical media thing. It's it's fun to have. It's still you're paying for the name a little bit, right? Um, but what I love about the, them is they actually go and get essays from film journalists and film analysts and stuff like that to add in there just so you kind of get a little more bang for your buck. I never feel when I buy one, even though it is a little pricey, that I got kind of screwed over. There's always something worthwhile. There's always something to return to. And that's what we should be doing for important films. How many criterions do you actually have? I, I've never asked you this. I know you have Thief. That's the big one. Yeah, I have Thief. I have high and low. This is so boring for the audience to listen to me. Try and think how many criterions I have. I have like six or seven. <laughs> yeah, so like for, for people to do like really dumb this down to like where do you probably know Criterion from more outside of just their collection? They're the people who get like directors and actors to like come into the collection room, which is the giant room full of all of their DVDs, and the mm -hmm. people then pick out a thing. You know, Patton Oswalt's done it, Michael Sarah's done it, and they just pick some movies they like to be like, Oh, I like this movie. Criterion has a version of it, go buy it, go support this movie. Um, it's really like the high it's kind of like TCM kind of is like the closest comparison I can kind of think of in terms of like a company that is about the preservation of what they consider to be classic movies or just movies that are really important, but they're a lot more, I don't know, like they're, they're pretty similar, but TCM just feels a little different to me. There's another company called Kino that's pretty, pretty prevalent and they put out a lot of good Blu-rays. Um, I think that's a European company. 
kind of reminds me of being a young man and going to like a history museum where like maybe as a young person you don't really appreciate it and you don't realize you're learning something but with each one of these i mean it is kind of an educational experience and that's what i really appreciate as somebody who's kind of who wants to pay sometimes a little bit more attention to what's going on behind the camera than in front of it um that's what i really appreciate about uh tcm criterion and kino they all put such tender love and care to these movies like it doesn't feel like a lot of companies will do like the 40th anniversary release of the godfather and it's just the same package but with a new cover and maybe like one little note of the back that's different <laughs> whereas the criterions feel like really lovingly put together and thought about and like lavished over and that's what really gets them the little extra bump for me i also do love i don't have any criterions i'll just say that um i'm not the snob quite yet but the the nice thing about Criterion is they are like worldwide they are not limited to just american releases they do a lot of foreign movies. I think they have a lot of Kurosawa movies on there. So it's a Good great enough. place for American people. If you want to come and kind of get into like global movies and you're like, well, how do I get a DVD of this? So I can't find that online. See if Criterion has it. Their website, you and I use it a lot this week for this episode. Really helpful. There's just a general search bar. It shows you every single result you'll want about like this movie or this actor, this director. If they have it, they have it. If they don't, I guess you got to go search some more, but it's just a nice one-stop shop. If you want to get into some more global movies of like where to look first, if you want the DVD. You're hundred percent right too. And what I also love about criterion is they don't hold their knowledge as if it's power. You know, you can go to that yes. website and still read some articles that are there. You can still find out information about the films that you're looking up. No, it's almost like a little bit like in the library index card, which is cool too. Um, and also Criterion has a streaming service. So if you know that's a more affordable route or something that people are interested in, I highly recommend that. They have a lot of films curated for different subgenres, different countries, you know, different types of eras of filmmaking. It's a really, really great service. So that's another avenue as well. People can check them out. And they just, like Nick said, they cover everything. They have documentaries, they have movies, they have like traditional stuff, they have recent stuff. You know, Uncut Gems, like we talked about, is already on there. The Francis Ha episode we mentioned are on there. I'm just looking at their coming soon movies. And they have Moon Age Daydream and then La Bamba, both on September 26th. Like, they are that wide of a range of like, oh, the Lou Diamond Phillips Richie Valens movie that no one remembers anymore. We got it. Like, so they are just everywhere. They have Nanny, which I think came out a year or two ago. So they just have pretty much everything you should want. So really, I think both of us, the point of this is like, if you like movies a lot, check our criteria if you haven't already. Totally. But Josh, why don't you explain to people what we're doing here today? Mm. So, you know, Nick sends me a lot of his DVDs that he gets through Snapchat to be like, look at this movie I'm watching for the 20th time tonight or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't mean as an insult, but more like a football game ended. You're like, I'm going to watch a movie after the game. I'm like, I'm going to bed. So good night. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just thinking about like all the movies you have because you have way more DVDs than I do. And I was like, man, there's some movies that I wish we get the criterion treatment. Like that I think would be really, really interesting to see. Like, how does that company handle this? What artists we get to talk about their old movies, stuff like that. And so I pitched the idea of like, what if we did an episode where we both pick like, five movies each about what movies we'd want to see in like criterion and get that treatment and so that's basically how this episode came about it's going to be really relaxed really informal um that's pretty much it it'll be a nice fun episode yeah let's do it i will shout out a couple things i don't know if you have shout outs or how do you want to do this i'll do my shout outs do you want to do honorable mentions last or or beforehand so we do them beforehand 
Okay. Okay. So my first shout out, <laughs> I was going through a lot of my favorite movies being like, what's on Criterion, what's not. The Before Trilogy is on Criterion. That might be some $30 being spent at some point, as is Bull Durham. <laughs> Those look terrific. <laughs> so shout out to Criterion for being on that one. Also, uh, for me at least, a big shout out to Blu-ray.com. I use them a lot in my research just to be like, what is the newest version of this movie? Does it make sense for there even to be a Criterion? Because like Criterion, Nick and I put a lot of love and tender care to our picks. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'd like to see Lord of the Rings again. It's just like, <laughs> that one's been done to death. We did movies that are hard to kind of find. You kind of don't get a lot of attention sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So check out their website if you want to get more to digital releases, but also don't have the money to spend Criterion because they are a little expensive. No doubt. So Blu-ray.com is a good website for people looking to get into more physical media now that can tell you about each version, the latest version, how much they're worth, and kind of gives you good links to Amazon to go buy it if you want it. So check out them. Honorable mentions, Nick. Do you want to lead us off? I'll lead us off. Um, I'm actually, you know, I'm not going to have a lot of surprises here. I really went for my honorable mentions just for things that I really want in the collection personally in a selfish manner. (laughs) Um, But the first one I have in here is Taxi Driver. Mm. because i think it's a brilliant film some solid versions of it um but it's kind of been relegated to streaming services it's bounced around on there a lot i think you could do some great stuff with the artwork of this for the cover it's just something that i would really like to see and of you know again to me like the criterion i look at it as almost like something like the library of congress when a film goes in there it's it's on that same plane for me because I really hold them in that high of regard. And I, I'd really like to see Taxi Driver get across the finish line and kind of have that definitive version. I think there's just so many versions of it right now that I think that's maybe why they're a little hesitant to, but at some point they have to get to it. It, it is a classic for a reason, so I imagine it'll be on there. Uh, I think we'll go one for one. I'll give you an honorable mention. You go have an honorable mention. Uh, you know, surprise, surprise, my honorable mention number one is Manhunter. Uh, I looked for this movie after we did the episode. I was like, I want a DVD of it because it is really hard to find. I showed a friend a version of it on Amazon, and it cut it cut a scene, Nick. It cut a scene of the version that we mm. watched, which is like someone ought to blow the sick fuck out of his socks. And I was like, they cut that in the Amazon version? So I've been scouring the internet for a physical copy of Manhunter. Haven't been easy to find. I ended up buying a three-pack. That is Manhunter, Hannibal, and Sounds of the Lambs. So, like, give me a one-stop shot for Manhunter. It's a great movie. Michael Mann's getting up there. William Peterson's getting up there. Tom Noonan's getting up there. Let's the, get these guys to, like, talk about this movie while we still can. And also, I'm selfish, and I'd like a physical version of it, and I will give you my money. So, please do it. <laughs> and also, you've got a director, Michael Mann, who's already worked closely with Criterion. So, maybe, you know, yes. be a little easier to get back yeah. into the lab. All right, I like that pick. That's a good one. Um, my next pick is something I hope happens really soon, seeing as this movie was just restored and remastered. Uh, my other one is Old Boy. Mm. Absolute terror of a movie. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that, but um, yes, there's some there's some versions of of it out there that just kind of look really rough. You no, know? I mean, in, in filmed on a pretty pretty cheap budget at the time in 2003. I would love to see that version that's in theaters right now um, come to home media. I'm sure it will. I don't know if it's through Criterion, but I, I would like to hope so. I'm sure it would have some great special features of how they filmed that Warner in the hallway. I would love to see that behind the scenes. Um, just maybe a little more analysis on the characters would be great too. But again, one of those movies where like we've talked about, there might be a couple versions of this, but I just don't think there's a definitive version that looks great, sounds great. You know what I mean? I've watched it recently at home because I wasn't able to get to the Alamo um, restoration that they did. 
it was good to watch, but I mean, I was just picking up so much like buzz and just it, it didn't sound great. Yeah. So I'd love to see that version come to home media. Yeah, I think there's a lot of foreign movies like that, which is like we talked at the start of the show that Criterion does a lot of work to make it more accessible and just the best version of it because there's not always that easy port over from the the foreign version to the American version in terms of DVD content, sound, stuff like that. So I think it's a good pick. Um, while we were talking about Michael Mann, I just put heat down because like, look. I have it too. <laughs> I mean, Nick and I will drop $60 together on a heat Criterion. There's no way around it. And then again, just very briefly, because we're going to talk about Heat at some point in the show. We talked about Michael Mann last week a lot, but like De Niro's really old, Pacino's really old. Unfortunately, we already lost Michael si- or Tom Sizemore. Let's get some of these guys back together to talk about Heat. It's got like a very big fervor already, so it's not like this would be like a, a, a BS pick done for like just a select few people. I think there's a lot of people that love it. It's a giant influential movie on where movies have kind of come and gone. Nolan is a huge fan. There's a wonderful moderation panel between Nolan, Pacino, De Niro, and I think is Michael Mann there? I think he's there for that one um, with the Academy. So there's a lot of love for it in the in the audience world, the critical world, the, the director world. So let's give it kind of the respect it deserves and not make it just like the action movie where things go boom. I think you're right. The only thing that would make me nervous with that is I have a definitive edition Blu-ray of that, and it's like two discs, which has a lot of stuff yeah. on it. So the only thing I would say is I think that movie might be a little redundant, but I'm still going to buy it if it <laughs> comes to the I mean, it's just like give me like a cover of like Chris on like buying the TNT or whatever, like the TNT and the hockey mask. Ah, you could do such wonderful stuff with the iconography of that movie. Um, I also picked a movie that we've done recently on the show, and I also picked a film that has William Peterson in it. I picked To Live and Die in L.A. as my next one. Uh, a classic for me now, just something that I would really like to be able to throw in whenever and rewatch. There is a couple Blu-rays of it that have some solid special features, which I found during the um, episode of the podcast. Nothing definitive, and now with the passing of William Friedkin, I'd love to see kind of maybe a cleaner restore. Uh, The other thing I would say about this one is a lot of these films, while there is a physical release, they've been bought up and the price has gone up quite a bit, like double or triple of what a criterion would be. So I I think that's the other thing is I would love to see this come out just to be able to have it and afford it. I thought Seth Peterson member was over. I was wrong. We are, this is again, more William Peterson. Um, Yeah. I I think, I mean, I'm going to guess Sorcerer's maybe one of your other honorable mentions. No, I didn't. There's there's a wide push, I think, for that from you and I that we would both love to have that in a real, like, the best version of it possible. So let's get them there. I threw in There Will Be Blood. I Me mean, too. it's just one of the best movies. It's not on there. I get it. I think the last DVD release is 2017 from when I looked up. So it's been a while. We can really restore it to 4K. You know, Day-Lewis is getting up there, too. PTA is kind of, like, in a very different phase of his career. Since then, we could kind of get a lot of good reflection on that movie. Maybe we could find the kid who plays W. You know, we'll find out what he's up to. <laughs> get him on there, because he quit acting after that movie, like we talked about. So kind of, you know, get back in that world, honor a shoe classic, and uh, put it on there. And that's a great contemporary pick of just a, a mm. classic movie that I think everyone should see. Um, it's weird... TA only has one movie in the Criterion Collection, and it's Punch Drunk Love, which is, you know, yes. I'm sure Josh is super happy about that. I am. 
the weird thing for me is is we've talked about it with PTA is he's kind of somebody who's done the the reverse where he was really kind of more open in the beginning of his career and now I feel like he's just kind of shut down a little bit as far as being a little bit more um like uh, more reserved. Yes. Yeah, more reserved, I guess. So um I would love to just hear a commentary track with 2023 PTA talking about movies and talking about his masterpiece. I think that would be great. And the special features would be awesome to see them building that tower and just like the the flames and all that, knowing that it was That'd done in awesome. real life would just be great I to know. watch. Yeah. I, I guess we, we just talked about There Will Be Blood and Heat, which were two of my other ones. I guess the other pick that I have here that we could mention is The Silent Partner. Um, this is a prime example of something where it's like there's a Kino release of this, which is a pretty solid release. And that's kind of why I didn't pick Sorcerer, because there's already a great French DVD that's like a 40-page book with it that's got like a slip cover. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Jesus. Yeah, pretty intense. So I, I felt like that was kind of derivative to pick that. Whereas The Silent Partner is a film where like, I feel like not a lot of people have seen. And that's the other thing that Criterion does is they bring a lot of movies where it's like – this has been just lost in the ether because there's a million other things. They kind of bring those movies to the forefront as well. It doesn't matter what time period it comes from. They'll still do that. And I think this is a prime example of movies like, oh, this has like two huge stars in it that were not stars at the time. And people yeah. would love to like see that movie. I think it's a good holiday movie. I think you could have some great essays. Quentin Tarantino wrote a great review because he runs it at the New Beverly all the time. So I'm sure you could get him to do something. Uh, and it'd be cool to do some artwork with this as far as, like, the cover with the Santa Claus and the robbing the bank and all that. Would be pretty sexy. That'd be good. That'd be good. I'm going to go off the beaten track here for one of my, my last couple honorable mentions. We make fun of Elvis a lot in Colonel Tom Parker. That said, you turned me on to a documentary called Elvis Presley, The Searcher that is on mm-hmm. HBO Max. I think this would be a lovely criterion to like really put a note on what has been an Elvis heavy two years in pop culture lately <laughs> between the movie Priscilla coming out later this year, which I'm very excited about. And then if we can get the searcher kind of into the criterion collection, I think it'd just be a great thing. It is also not just your traditional documentary. It's one of my favorite things about that documentary. If you go and watch it is that it's all about Elvis's life from the start to the end. And it's two parts. It's really long. It's I think like three hours total. Um, oh, but the way it is shot and edited is we never actually see the per- the voice that we're hearing. We only hear the voice. And it's just all black and white footage and color footage of Elvis and the times that we're talking about in the 1950s and 60s of America. And it's just a wonderful exploration of Elvis, the person where if the movie didn't satisfy you about his whole character and the whole mythos of that person, I think The Searcher does a tremendous job at making you understand why this man took such a hold of America, but also acknowledging that He's got a lot of flaws, and, and the movie does a great job at highlighting that in a way that one of my problems with the Elvis movie didn't is that it really makes Elvis be this grand victim who was mm-hmm. this master hero that was then alienated by an evil Colonel Tom Parker um, with an evil performance behind it. And the searcher does just a wonderful job at giving this really true, honest reality of it. And it's it's involved with the Presleys. Priscilla is involved with it quite heavily. A lot of the musicians that were around Elvis at the time were involved, so – Go check out The Searcher. This would be a wonderful addition to Criterion that really like gives a different taste on what this kind of guy is. The other thing, too, I think would be awesome with that is 
because you have the cooperation of the Presley family is you would be able to probably put a lot of those videos onto another disc. And how cool would yeah. that be? Like see Elvis behind the scenes while he's getting ready to, to do, go do a performance for a movie or whatever, because he stopped touring for so long. You'd get a whole different perspective. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that <laughs> they wouldn't want you to see. So I'm sure it would be limited, <laughs> but I mean, just to be able to have that and like, you know, like you said, have that in a physical, tangible way would be really cool. Do you have any more? I'm all set with honorable mentions. Yeah, I, I'm kind of ready to get into the meat and potatoes. I just have one more we'll cover quickly. Caddyshack. Give me a Caddyshack cartoon so I can burn it. And then we can really just stomp that movie to the end because it doesn't deserve it. So, uh, You ready to do the show, babe? I'm ready to do this. We got five picks. We got a lot of notes on this and I think a lot of good insights. I'm ready when you are. Lead the way. My first nominee to the Criterion Collection is Whiplash. Ooh. It's it's by director-writer Damien Chazelle, obviously. We got Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, Paul Reiser, Melissa Benoist. I think this is a movie that it's nearing 10 years old. You know, this is a 2014 release, and it's quietly one of the best movies of the decade it came out in. I went back and rewatched Whiplash quite recently, and maybe it's because I saw it when I was so young for the first time, or it's been a couple years, but rewatching that movie... It's just tremendous. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal movie that isn't trying to do anything fancy. It's not trying to set the world on fire, but just Chazelle. I mean, I don't want to be blunt, but he directs the fuck out of the movie. It is just amazing what he does with the camera in a room with a drum set and J.K. Simmons. You know, it got nominated for a Best Picture nomination and a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination. It's a second feature film. It's not a big deal. So, like, a historic film in that regard. And then I think the last really interesting part of it is that because of the 10 years and what Chazelle has done in his career, it is just so interesting of like, how do you reflect back on this movie that made you, you know, he's made four movies, I think since then or three movies and they've been varying qualities. La La Land is terrific. He almost wins best picture. Then we got first man, which isn't as quite as love and then Babylon, which was the whole saga about that. And so like, how does one of Hollywood's most promising directors look back on the movie that made him to have that platform? get Miles Teller involved. He would love to talk about this. I'm sure his career's changed a lot too. And I think there's just a lot to chew on. I think that's a really great pick. Also, one of the other things that I would love to have is J.K. Simmons won an Oscar mm. for that role. I would love to have him sit down and talk about that character um, because I know that there was parts of that movie where he kind of actually got into character, uh, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So I'd love to kind of like maybe see a discussion between or a commentary where it's like JK, Miles Teller, and Damien Chazelle talking about that movie. And you're you're exactly right where like they're all at such different points in their careers at this point where it would be really interesting to see what they think about this ten years later. I remember the first time I watched this movie, not to go down a rabbit hole, I myself in a hotel room on my laptop at like eight o'clock at night and I was engrossed, and it's really weird because it's one of those movies that's very disturbing, but I love to rewatch it. I also rewatched it recently, and money holds up like money. It is highly watchable. Like that's my one of my other favorite things of Barta is like, you know, a lot of the movies that we try and show our friends to be like, look at this great film. It's not the easiest for everyone to get into, but Whiplash is just so accessible. It's got the pop culture appeal to it, where I don't think this is a movie that goes to Criterion and no one buys it. A lot of people would love to own this in a version like that. Are you rushing? Are you dragging? There's a lot of cool artwork you can do with the drums and the yelling, the concert halls, the the drumsticks. You can do just a lot of interesting things with this movie that is just right for like review and discussion. Cause like 
as a movie that made such headwaves and made so much money, a lot of money, at the time, it's it's all talked about and dissected. But that foresight that comes with that 10 years after the fact, I think is what's crucial to a lot of our picks as we'll talk about, where like you can everyone could be like, oh yeah, that was fun. Or wow, we did this thing and like I would have handled this differently now. Or like, I'm just so glad we did this movie or like this experience with these fun anecdotes that aren't talked about enough because like Whiplash is awesome. It's just so good that like I think it would really, really benefit from being put back into the pop culture conversation to just be like, look at how awesome this movie is. Because I think sometimes we forget about it. No doubt. Are you all set? I'm all set. Your nominee's up. All right. My first pick for the Criterion Collection is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, as I mentioned, I have an affinity for John Candy's comedy. This movie's kind of like a sea change for John Hughes. But at this point, it's kind of known for his more angsty teen dramas like Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, or Pretty in Pink. Uh, I love this movie. It's heartwarming. I don't think there's a ton of holiday or traditionally heartwarming stuff in the Criterion Collection. If I had to kind of <laughs> pick a little plan. Um, but there's some dynamite scenes I'd love to see restored, like the entire highway sequence or any of the other like kind of wider shots Hughes does of like Candy and Steve Martin traveling. You know, when they're carrying the trunk or the train station scene or like Steve Martin running on the highway. Um, but one of the other things I saw that I just kind of shared with you is I saw uh, there's a gentleman called Criterion Dreams who reimagines his films from his childhood as if they're in the Criterion collection. He did some bitch and artwork that he made for this. I mean, it's Dell's trunk, the stickers that spell out planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, I would buy that in a second if I saw it on a shelf. It just looks so great. Um and this could be like another one with like a cool map of like the route they've taken. I've seen people online who have like drawn like they went by train this far, then they took the milk yeah. truck this far. I'd love to see <laughs> that kind of throughout the booklet and use this kind of like um how GTA uses their map as the booklet. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. And also it'd be cool to hear the cast and crew speak on this in retrospect, given that John Hughes and John Candy are no longer with us, kind of like we talked about. Um some of these films, the creators are gone. So, you know, while it's great to have a blu-ray from 1984 or whatever or blu-ray from 1984 have a have a tape from a laser disc or a laser <laughs> disc whatever it'd be great to have a blu-ray of this restored where people kind of maybe give like and again steve martin is a is a guy so it would be a little yeah. difficult maybe but i would love to hear some people in their later years discuss some of these films and that's one of the other things i really like about the criterion collection and I think there's a lot of love for this movie just from like the general public that would be really interested in this and also love from the critic community that I think could write some really interesting pieces on this that mm. it wouldn't just be like, oh, well, we got X person to do the commentary that was like the third tertiary character, but now because they're sadly the only one left alive to really talk about this, there's just a lot of interesting stuff you can chew on with this. You know, I think you made a good point about like as much as we love Criterion, it's a lot of like heavier movies that are not always the funnest this would be like a nice just like change of pace from Criterion to be like, hey, let's just have some laughs. Let's have some laughs, remember family, and just like do some cool things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also a movie with a lot of heart. You know, like it, yeah. it, it does, it moves me to tears. It has moved me to tears. And um, it's funny too, what I love about this film, just to pitch it, if anybody hasn't seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which would be pretty crazy. Um, to me, the moments that are most moving are when two people who are so different from one another become friends. You see it happen. Um, and that personally moves me more than like the idea of Dell not having a family, you know? I mean, it's it makes me think of In the Heat of the Night, which is such an odd connection. 
Yeah. <laughs> go from plane trains and obviously in the heat of the night, but there is something deeply, deeply powerful, I feel, about watching people come together and putting aside their disagreements and differences to be like, hey, man, I like you. And I think that'd be really nice to be like, hey, criteria, maybe sometimes people just need to be friends and that's okay. And that's all we really need in, in life sometimes. So that's good. We don't that's always need, we don't always need come and see. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't always need mediations on like, guilt and christianity yeah. and god it could be like oh john candy did a funny thing there huh that could be a pick for criteria let's just let's just do that for a while yeah. uh are you all good or you want me to move on let's let me move on this is one that we could probably we're gonna do an episode of this movie eventually so this is a little precursor to that whenever my second nominee is the warriors Ooh, that's a good pick oh uh, yeah so this is this is by Walter Hill. It is written by David Shaver and Walter Hill. It's based on Saul Urich's novel. Actions, we've got Michael Beck, James Remar, David Patrick Kelly. A lot of actors that are doing character work really now, if at all. A lot of them haven't really gone anywhere. And this is a movie that means a lot to me personally. Uh, I've, I've, I've definitely mentioned it on the show, but like for whatever reason, my parents let me watch The Warriors, which for those who don't know, is, is like a hardcore 1970s like bleak movie about this gang war in like New York where this gang has to escape from like the center of New York all the way to Coney Island. And it is a, a pretty harrowing journey to get there. It's violent. It's aggressive. It's got a lot of crass language. And yet my parents were like, Hey man, you can watch the warriors. That's cool. I would get like red vests, like the characters in the movies. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm in the warriors. I would play the rockstar video game a lot. And this is a movie that I just really, really love. And it's just rules is the greater part. This isn't like nostalgia for me where I'm like, well, looking back on it now, it's not so good. I legitimately think this movie's awesome, Nick. Do you do you still feel that way? It's it's good. Okay. <laughs> so maybe it's a little nostalgia for me. Um, but like one of the things that I really discovered in my research is like if you actually want to go watch The Warriors, if you're like, that sounds kind of interesting. And it is kind of a precursor. I feel it's a lot of like the drive kind of like darker stuff about like lonely men in big cities trying to fight their way through bad things. You either have to have a premium subscription to AMC plus Philo, YouTube sling TV or Amazon to just watch the warriors. Now it's not a one place. It's just insanity. How hard it is to find. I think the last time I saw it was my dad was watching on AMC, but like that was like a Thursday night. <laughs> and like Not all people to be like Thursday night, the warriors let's go. Uh, there is a, a latest version that was a steel book uh, that came out in 2022 and it's a really nice improvement in quality visually, but even that is only 2k. And I think the big issue is that that version features the ultimate director's cut and that cut kind of stinks is the best way I can put it. Uh, Hill kind of inserts the comic book style transitions in between the sequences. It's mm. really, really weird. When I showed this version to a friend, not knowing it was this version, he was like, what the fuck? Like, why is, why are they doing this? <laughs> I had that version as a kid. That's funny. Not, not the yeah. steel book, obviously, but the version that has the comic transitions. It's just janky. It's just janky and weird. And it kind of breaks up this really good immersion of like the dark grittiness that Hill kind of creates. Um, and it's just really weird. And I would like a version that really focuses on the theatrical cut. And from what I found is the theatrical cut is really hard to find. The the DVD that I have, keep in mind, I said DVD, not Blu-ray of the Warriors. That's how old we're talking about, is like from my childhood. And that's the yeah. only theatrical version that I could talk about and really find as far as I know. So this is a, like a really hard movie to get to. And the other version of why I think this is due for a criterion, aside from how much I love it and why I think it's a great movie, 
is that here's the age of the people involved. Walter Hill is 83. Michael Beck is 74. Drains Remar is 69. David Patrick Kelly is 72. And these people would just not be around, be around much longer to talk about this movie. So I think Criterion and a lot of the public should give this movie a chance to kind of tell their story one last time. Because for a lot of these, especially Michael Beck, this is the movie that defines his life in, in a lot of ways. I'm sure he did a lot of great work outside of the Warriors, but this is his most well-known movie. And I think giving these guys a chance to tell the story would be really, really great just for them as aging people. That's a good pick, too. And um, I think what makes that movie, because, again, I think we can just talk about these movies a little bit. One thing I love about yeah. that movie is... It doesn't abandon the comic book elements, but it makes them much more bleak than it would be in an actual book. So when it the movie does yeah. do those transitions, it really does feel quite zany. I agree with you. I'd like to see the theatrical cut. And like, I think that's another thing that really would attract people is there is kind of like, whether you've seen it or not, it's something enticing about being like, there's two versions of this, right? Yes. You know? Like, yeah, you can watch <laughs> this one, or you can watch that one. And I know it's kind of simplistic, but it is something that cinephiles go for. Well, and the other great part about it is that Criterion will give you both. Like, that's what I'm advocating yes. for is that if you want the director's cut, we can keep it. But I would just love the theatrical cut. It's the version I grew up on. It's my favorite. And the other thing about this movie that I just love as we're talking about it, the score of this movie is so awesome. Like, it plays in my head whenever I think about this movie so easily. Like, the, uh, like the, the style of this movie, too, is just awesome. The, the riffs, the baseball furies. There's so many just like iconic moments in my head that I would just love to see restored to 4K with like a real love and care for people who like this movie. And I think the Warriors is just due for this. Like it would just do so well, I think, and get a really nice reappraisal from people who don't know what this movie is, but can go look at the baseball furies and be like, that looks awesome. They're a, yeah. they're a gang in baseball uniforms with painted on faces, all with different colors that don't talk and just fight people. It's so awesome to look at. Like it's great. I would just love it. I would I would kill for this. One of my favorite chases of all time. Oh, oh the baseball furies chase. It's so good, Nick. It's so good. <laughs> One last note I would hit is that for me to show this movie to a lot of people, it's just impossible. <laughs> it's virtually impossible unless I grab my DVD from, I'd have to look like 2005. So like, I would just really enjoy selfishly when I want to show this to more people to be like, oh, here it is. It's right here. It's in 4K, but that's impossible. So give me the theatrical cut. Give me 4K. Give me some interviews. It'd be really fun. I like that one. Next movie that I have on my list is a little movie from 1998 called Snake Eyes. This is a Brian De Palma film. Uh, and this is a film that kind of finds everyone in it at their kind of money-making peak. Like De Palma's coming off of Mission Impossible. Nick Cage, he's got his Oscar already, and he's on a run of The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels. Gary Sinise, he's nom for Forrest Gump. He's got Ransom, The Quick and the Dead, and Apollo 13, all in a three- to four-year span. So this movie gets a $73 million budget. It's a loads of fun, albeit far from perfect. You know, I'm not going to say this is a masterpiece of De Palma's filmography, but I think it's really an early sufferer of the trailer tells way too much. Um, if you go in blind, unlike I did, because it was this movie and another movie, it was kind of like in a toss-up late night. I was like, yeah, well, I'll watch the trailer and see. It gives away a really crucial piece of information that makes it a completely different experience. So in retrospect, I would like to like probably not have seen the trailer. Uh, but it's also a movie we bemoan on this podcast or in real life because we don't get enough of them anymore in retrospect. Um, and I think it does a great job of balancing what makes Nick Cage a sensation at this point. It's his zaniness, zaniness with his grounded 
like more abilities, he becomes a completely different person on the back half of this movie, but both sides of the coin work so goddamn well throughout. There's some crucial scenes that were cut from this film that make it something completely different in the climax, to the point where you're actually really confused by the movie. It's it's a huge problem. Um I think that would make for some interesting supplements to see those deleted scenes. You know, there's a part where there's a huge explosion on a dam and water starts flooding in. We don't get to see that in the movie. I'd love to see that in camera as they did it and behind the scene stuff and all those other deleted scenes that kind of maybe add up to maybe a little bit more complete film. This movie also has an opening shot that's basically a 20-minute wonder, and it's absolutely immaculate. Mm. I could watch a whole behind the, behind the scenes documentary on how they did that alone. I mean, and any excuse to hear Nick Cage <laughs> give a good interview is is worth my money. Uh, and also, it was De Palma's birthday yesterday when I wrote this, and I saw he's got a few in the collection, but not enough. So I'd love to see this get a restoration. That would be good. You've been hounding me to watch this since you watched it, and I, I think I'm going to have to now at this point. Let me pitch it real quick for the audience and pitch you. it. Pitch it to me. Yeah. I don't know how you can't not want to watch this after this. Crooked cop Nick Cage in Atlantic City named Rick Santoro goes to this boxing match, meets up with his old time friend <laughs> uh, who's also in the Navy, who's played by Gary Sinise. Um, there's a murder that occurs at the boxing match when the lights go out. Everybody gets locked inside of the arena, and it's up to Nick Cage to figure out this massive government conspiracy and who's involved. Why didn't you just say murder mystery where Nick Cage is the detective? I would have been in if you had just texted me like those four words. Dude, he's on fire. I mean, the first like two minutes, he's just like, I'm Rick Santoro. It's just so great. I mean, you had me when you're like, Nick Cage is playing a guy named Rick Santoro. That's when you had me, okay? But like, a murder mystery inside of, I'll be honest with you, I've always felt like a, a murder mystery inside the gym where like the weights, the lights go out in the gym and someone's just dead in the gym and be like, genius, that's your movie. Just one, one stop. This is that. But like, okay. All right. Snake eyes. Why don't you watch it today and tell me what you think after the cast? I will, I will do my darndest serve because Rick Santoro might be my new best friend. He might be my new best friend. You can do your darndest. This movie is released on Blu-ray though. Um, but it's a very plain Blu-ray. You know, that's the other thing with some of these films that kind of came and went in the 80s and 90s. There's just like not a lot of supplements to go with them. So I'd love to see De Palma in retrospect. I've, I feel like that's something we're going to say a lot on this podcast for this episode is just because, you know, it's cool to see the behind the scenes featurette. But I really, again, and I think Josh would agree, love to hear our creators talk about their process. Yes. Whatever the hell made them want to make this cockamamie crazy story and have, you know, people in it. So it's it's really just grownups playing pretend at the end of the day. So to hear them talk about it and kind of elaborate on something maybe a little bit more philosophical, I really always appreciate and enjoy. So I'm sure you get some great De Palma stuff. Again, somebody who who's getting up there in age. Well, and not just like, of course, this is grown-ups playing pretend, but this means a lot to everyone, I think. Um, I don't know about about Snake Eyes, but movies are really all about trust between, I don't know, 300 people. Like, 300 people or more, in some senses, coming together to make something that they all kind of believe in, or at least believe in enough to want to do it to get a page, is the more cynical side of it. But, like, at its heart and core, it's people who are doing this because they love making things. They love creating. They love trying to tell people a story. And so I think there is a lot of this in, in this episode, especially of like, if you ask a director, if you ask any artist of any degree of success, hey, tell me about this thing you made that means a lot to you. They will go for hours and tell you everything they want to know because it means a lot to them that someone just wants to talk to them about it. Um, so I think that's why a lot of these pictures are just right for this sort of thing of like, people want to talk about the things they made. So we would get a lot of great stuff with all these movies, including Snake Eyes. No doubt. And I, I think it's only a 2K. 
scan. So, I mean, I'd love to see it in 4K, just a little brighter, a little more pop. My next nominee, I won't have to pitch because it is a movie I think everyone knows. It's Good Will Hunting, baby. Let's go. Hmm. Not in the Criterion. We got Gus Van Sant. We got Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Robin Williams, Casey Affleck, Manny Driver, Stellan Skarsgård. This might be my bias of why I picked this, um, but I've always felt like a deep connection and pull towards Goodwill Hunting. I think it's really a lot of like this story behind the scenes of two New England kids living on, I, say the, I wasn't on the hard streets, but you know what I mean, uh, doing what I think was thought incapable of them of like, this isn't a, a state, New Hampshire and the whole region of New England that is all about, you know, film and art and testing the ideas of philosophical questions. It's a lot of hardworking blue collar people. And I think that's why I've always felt so drawn to this movie, especially where it is about these people and the metatextual story of these two guys being like, we want to really be good at this. And we want to tell a story that means a lot to us while also furthering our career and like actually achieving something and like capstoning this whole thing. Um, and maybe this is also a lot about the story of like abuse that ends in hope and kind of the path toward love, which is one of my favorite things about Goodwill Hunting is that for all of its darkness under the surface, the ending is always, 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 hey, try and chase that girl, try and have success, try and like love stuff. Um, regardless of all of that, though, like Goodwill Hunting is just a terrific film. And I think its quality alone merits a place in the collection. I totally agree with you. This one isn't really about, like, I'd like to see this restored, or I'd like to hear Matt Damon and Ben yeah. Affleck talk about it. There's plenty of that. The fact that it's just such a great cultural land, landmark, and still to this day, it's one of those movies, too, where, like, I don't know about you, but a movie that makes me cry every time, I'm, I, sometimes I get pissed off. I'm like, oh, I feel what you're doing. Like, I feel the machinations of what you're doing right now. Yeah. I never feel that with this movie, you know? The, the the conversation when they're talking about Robin Williams' wife that's hilarious makes me tear up, you know? It, it it's just one of those movies that constantly has me in a state where I'm like almost weeping, like where I gotta like get tissue. So um that alone I agree with you just for its quality alone and, and it's the way it moves me every single time. And again, probably some hometown bias, but I think most certainly the quality is there for it to belong in the Criterion collection. I mean if this episode wasn't a little bit about bias, there would be no episode. So kick rocks <laughs> if that's your complaint about us. Um uh, <laughs> but like yeah, like there's a lot of scenes of this movie that I I really just love so, so much that like I think about kind of often of like, if you're still here in 20 years, I'll fucking kill you. If you're still watching Pat's game with me on my couch, I'll fucking kill you. That whole scene is terrific of like the best part of my day is when I show up and the, the time it takes me to get from the door, from out of my car door to your door, imagining you're not there. The the final scene I've had to go see about the girl, how do you like them apples? It's not your fault. And and one thing I want to hit on real quick is I feel like she is the forgotten part of this movie. Mini Driver's awesome in this movie. It, yes. Very funny. And very funny. So charming. This movie is really, you know, belongs to, to Ben and Matt for a lot of good reasons. I mean, they wrote the fucking thing. But Mini Driver does these two guys such a service that not a lot of actresses might have been able to, where she is playing such a great role of like someone that is equally emotionally damaged as Will. But it's already gotten past and is like, let's put past it together. Like, let's make that jump. Let's do this thing. And she's not just the token, like, woman for big guy or tough guy to, like, latch onto to try and feel better about himself. She's a very deeply in-depth character. And she's just awesome in this movie. So any chance to talk about her performance in this movie, I think, is worth taking. Um, two other things real quick is, like, this movie hasn't really been sold to shit either. Its last major release is a 2024K Blu-ray, which is awesome. 
But I think the thing that that's lacking, which is why it's right for Criterion, is I don't think Ben and Matt do a commentary for that. Or if they do, even more time has passed. You know, like these guys have achieved so much post Goodwill Hunting. But I think this is a great venue where these two great, you know, creatives entering, I think, what's the twilight of their movie star career or their movie star days, I should say, not career, can kind of look back on the film that put them all here. You know, this movie's going to be 30 in four years. That's insane. It's a 1997 release. And like the last time they really had a chance to talk about this and kind of reflect was, I think, the press for The Last Duel because that was the last movie they co-wrote together. But I would just love a chance to like your two lifelong friends like reflect back on their youth and their friendship and just be like, hey, man, this is the movie that made us. And like, this is why I still feel this way for Will. And this is what I hope for Will. And like a movie that I think means a lot to them that has defined them. And I just love to hear them talk about that. And also, if you've seen the Armageddon commentary with Affleck, that boy <laughs> goes wild on some stuff. So like maybe we could get yeah. a fun Affleck you know, story here or there. Yeah, it's a great pick. I think that it's a movie that's most certainly deserving of being in the collection. My next pick is a sentimental pick, actually. This is one of the first movies I really remember seeing that had an impact past its runtime. And I saw it at our grandmother's house on a shitty TV, on a random movie channel, and of course I didn't pick it. But my pick is Brother Orchid, which is a 1940s film starring Edward G. Robertson, Humphrey Bogart, and Anne Southern. Uh, it's about a son of a mob boss who basically has to flee when his father leaves um, his position of power and winds up hiding out in a monastery. and become, Or actually, I'm sorry, winds up hiding out in a church and becomes a, uh, a priest. Uh, it's a very interesting movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Why I picked it, though, is because there's only a 2K Blu-ray of it. And again, just one of those movies where I think probably has gone underseen, and that's just certainly one of them. I mean, it has Humphrey Bogart in it. It's one of the biggest stars of all time. James Cagney was actually originally supposed to play the role that Edward G. Robinson has. Um, but for me personally, it kind of lays the groundwork for everything I love about film or want to explore with my own writing, whether it be crime, comedy, or an actual message, or, or there's kind of some heart at the end of it. Um, I haven't seen this in a decade or more, so I know I need to rewatch it myself, but as a nostalgic pick, um, which I think is part of Criterion's charm and their aim, this would be a welcome addition to the catalog. You're probably not going to get a lot of special features at the time, maybe some old like reels and old trailers. But just to have this restored in 4K and have it looking as good as it could is, is something that would be worth the money for me. I'm sure you could do some really cool artwork, too. You could do a prob. I haven't seen this movie, but I think you could do a lot of cool artwork with anything with the 40s. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. There is such a, and this isn't a slam to them, but marketing back then and the way things were just like drawn and, and captured was very different from what it is now. And I think letting a more artistic expression kind of come out onto DVD covers of not just this, but any movie from the 40s that Criterion has really toyed with a lot, you get a lot of interesting stuff. I was looking at some of the Kurosawa covers this week. They're gorgeous. They're just, the what they do with like those movies is gorgeous. So doing that for Brother Orchid would be pretty interesting. Not only that too, like I have one of those DVDs, the high and low of Akira Kurosawa. I wasn't, again, you know, he's not with us anymore. And it's like, well, how many features is this really going to have? Or how many supplements is there going to have? It's a pretty solid amount for a film that came out in, what, 1948 or whatever. There was a, a pretty decent amount of stuff on there. So while some of these films I probably think of, and I'm like, oh, what features are you going to add for Brother Orchid? There's probably some good stuff out there. So that's just kind of one of my picks for just an old film that, like, probably hasn't been seen by a lot of people. If somebody owns it, it's probably covered in a layer of dust. So it's just one of those things that I think would be really good as a cultural touchstone for all of us to kind of maybe go back and watch. 
Well, also to that end, even if we're not having the creatives involved talk about this, you can get film critics and film people yeah. who really can appreciate the history of this movie and be like, this is what it did to this person and this is how it affected film history from here on to here forth and here's why it's great. You can have that to kind of supplement that. And Criterion is really good about where there are gaps. They fill them very nicely and very organically where it doesn't feel forced in. Every movie feels like it gets the same treatment as the others. And so I, I'm sure you could figure out a way to do Brother Orca justice. For sure. So that's my pick. My next pick, uh, my fourth pick, is Moon. Uh, the Sam Rockwell, Duncan Jones. Um, I, I, I Sci-fi, horror, capitalist critique is the best way <laughs> I can put Moon. Have you seen Moon? I have not. Moon? Okay, I'll sell Moon then. So Moon basically is about Sam Rockwell, who is on the moon, shockingly. Uh, and what he does is he works on the moon as someone who found like um, a gas substitute. It's called like helium three. And what he does is he runs the facilities to get helium three from the moon. And then he will send it back through space, back to earth where this company can then use it and then make the money off of it. And he's on a three-year contract. And when he left, his wife was pregnant. And now that he's two weeks away from coming back to the earth, he's getting like, videos and stuff from his wife about how happy he is and how excited he is to come home and kind of spend time with his family and get back to his real life. Um, and one day as he's kind of going about his business on the facility, there's something outside the thing that goes wrong. Um, and he encounters something and I don't want to spoil too much about moon cause it is not what you think. And I'll get into that shortly. He yeah. finds another version of himself and the whole movie kind of ravels from there of like, is this what is this? It's a clone. Why are we here? What is the purpose of this movie? And when I first watched this, I just kind of thought it'd be a comedy. I think I watched this in like 2012, something like that, because I was kind of vaguely familiar with Sam Rockwell's work, and he was really a comedic actor early into his career and around this time. And I just figured this would be in the same vein, but it's really, really not. It is a hard, hard movie that is kind of a tough watch at times. It, it really does hit you like a ton of bricks. And I was just forward at it, despite my age. And it's a really interesting take on the sci-fi genre that plays with these questions of of the moon <laughs> and cloning and these questions of like, what is God? What is life? That sort of thing. But it's not action. It's not action. It's not really horror. It's more like a thriller. And Sam Rockwell, and this is the greatest piece of this movie, is fucking great, this movie. If you like Sam Rockwell... This is the movie of how he gets to Iron Man 2 and device extent. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but like Sam Rockwell wasn't a huge star before he kind of breaks up, but then he kind of skyrockets into much more mainstream modern stuff. Yeah, and like you said, probably a lot more more taken as a quote unquote serious actor. Well, yes, how yeah, have I yeah. never even heard of this movie? It, that's why I really picked it. Is that not a lot of people have heard about Moon because it it was um. I mean, it's 2008, 2000. It's going to be 14. It's already 14. So, like, it, not a lot of people just hear about it. I watched it on Netflix when Netflix was still doing DVDs, I think. That's how old this movie oh. is. Um, so, yeah, like, go back and watch Mood. I think you will have a really good time with it. It's really classic. And it really holds up, and its message is really, really strong nowadays, where we're in an age where companies kind of look for every possible shortcut at the expense of the human soul. And Moon does a very interesting take on what that is to be the human soul in question of the the companies kind of coming against you. Um, it's not a great addition. I think it's a great addition, especially because this is not a classic director. Duncan Jones is 
kind of peaked with moon and source code. So it, it's nice that Criterion, I think, does this sort of stuff where we are not just doing it Scorsese and Spielberg or even a guy like Damien Chazelle, who we talked about at the start. He has no movies in the Criterion collection so far, despite the fact he has two movies now for Best Picture. So if we can do a Duncan Jones, I think this is a venue that would really be like open to this. And you can also get Duncan Jones to talk about like, yeah, my career has changed fundamentally. I went from the guy who was David Bowie's son to the guy who made the Warcraft movie in the span of time. And Moon has kind of been forgotten past that. And then Sam Rockwell, I'm sure, would love to talk about Moon because it is really a giant movie for his career. I'm going to have to add this to my watch list because I, I just Googled it Good. like two seconds ago. And I was like, I don't even remember seeing this poster, anything about it. So, And I love Sam Rockwell. Great poster. One of my favorite actors. Yes. Go watch Moon. There it is, folks. You got to plug for Moon. Um, my next one is kind of interesting. I'm going to ask you a question, Josh, and I, okay, I kind of want to know if you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, when there's like a great actor out there, who's like, you know, he's great. Everyone says he's great, but you just haven't seen their work. And it might not be because you don't want to, it's just, you don't usually gravitate towards their projects. Yep. Let's go. Yeah. That was Jeremy Irons for me before I saw dead ringers. Head Ringers, uh, 1988 film, I believe, by uh, David Cronenberg, starring Jeremy Irons in dual roles as twin gynecologist Beverly and Elliot. This is Cronenberg's psychological body terror at its finest, finest form. Whether it's the brilliant production design and popping red that Cronenberg's wife Carolyn did a lot of work on for his set designs, like or the brutal ending and the descent into like drug addiction and madness, uh, which would be a great topic that's still going on to this day, I think would be interesting. Um, pharmaceutical abuse. It's a disturbing masterpiece in a movie I flirted with picking on the show, but I just don't really know how to talk about it in, in the sense of like in an appetizing way. Not that everything needs to be that, but like pretty dark and brutal movie. It'd be a little difficult to go, go talking about, but it's a great, brilliant piece of cinema. One of the best Canadian films of all times. And this isn't necessarily a new pick. There's a Dead Ringers Criterion DVD, but that's out of print and rather pricey right now. Um, and I know the Criterion Collection has love for Cronenberg because he's already got quite a few films in there. So it'd be nice to see a Blu-ray 4K reissue, maybe for the 40th anniversary that's going to be coming up here in a couple years. Ooh, that sounds spicy. I, both of us going back to back where an actor is playing two roles. <laughs> Who would have thought? What perfect no. order bias? What serendipity? Um I, yeah, like let's get some more horror in Criterion. Let's go. Let's bust it out. I kind I like that pick. Good, Nick. Good job. Thanks, buddy. I don't really have much to elaborate on. Yeah, and I haven't seen it, so I can't talk about it. But I, I think you should check it out. Make sure it's a day where you're not very hungry. You know, make sure you're full before you eat it. Like so, you don't. You're not gonna want to yeah. eat while you watch it. Um, make sure you you maybe have a have a double feature plan with something a little bit more happy afterwards. You know, like I did a little programming the other day. I was like, hey, let's watch The Descent. And then I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles afterwards just to kind of balance it out, which is what, one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to put it there. But, yeah, it's a really dark, disturbing movie. Again, I think there's some commentary on, you know, pharmaceutical abuse and obviously, you know, the way we view, view the human anatomy and the female anatomy is, is a huge part of the film. So, yeah, if you're into Cronenberg, you're into body horror, definitely check it out. I think it would be good to see it restored, and I'd love to hear Cronenberg talk about it. Another guy in the twilight of his career that I think would like to go back and reflect on some things that otherwise doesn't get a chance to. And that's the great thing about what we're talking about. And with Jeremy Irons, too. I mean, he's getting a little bit older. And I know when he won the Oscar um, for his role in, I forget the film, right after, he thanked Cronenberg in a speech. So they really had a profound impact on each other. 
but maybe you get those two together and you get a really solid DVD commentary as well, or Blu-ray. Seeing mm. how this is only mm. on DVD. It's good. It's a good pick. Everyone go check out Dead Ringers. We're down to my final nominee. Uh, I think it's a movie that you have not seen. That movie is Carol. It is Todd Haynes' Carol. Todd Haynes wrote it. Phyllis Nagy wrote it. It stars Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, Sarah Paulson, Kyle Chandler. Uh, I watched this movie early this year. I think it was uh, oddly around a Thursday night football game. So maybe it was late last year, but I was like, this game fucking stinks. <laughs> I'm going to watch a movie instead. It's always the and Thursday Carol night was game. A... <laughs> and Carol was a movie that had kind of been on my mind for a while. And I remember when it was coming out, a lot of critical buzz for Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. And Todd Haynes is a director who I, I like a lot. He's the guy who does stuff like... Um, Wonderstruck, Dark Waters, I'm Not Really There. And I think that's how it kind of got on my radar. I was like, oh, Todd Haynes, Bob Dylan movie. Ooh. And so I stumbled upon Carol in that way. And this movie's fucking awesome. You know, a lot of our picks have been a lot of one for me, one for them, I think so far. It's kind of fair to say we're like, the Warriors doesn't have the biggest like fan base being like, give us the criteria. <laughs> um, Moon, even you hadn't heard about. Goodwill Hunting is, is an obvious like one for them, Whiplash, same as well. But I think Carol is the type of movie that I think has a really great chance of actually making the criterion and having a really good revived impact. Um, it is a wonderful movie about desire and love and lust and duty, if, if you even want to call it that, and, and marriage and this question of sexuality. For those who don't know, it's basically about... Um, an aspiring photographer who played by Rooney Mara, who spots this woman played by Kate Blanchett at her store. And it's the 1950s. And they kind of develop a fast bond that kind of becomes like, I think I love this woman and I love this woman in return. And Kate Blanchett's character is married. Rooney Mara's character is engaged to a guy or, or they're dating. It's been a while since I watched this, but it is just wonderfully shot. Todd Haynes is a terrific job. He's in complete control. Phyllis Nagy, the writer does tremendous work. And Kate Blanchett is just awesome. And one of the biggest reasons I think this kind of deserves a lot more stuff is that it really got shut out by the Oscars, from what I remember. It got a Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Adapted Screenplay, but it didn't get Best Picture. And this is 2016, when the Oscars have room to do this sort of thing. And I think this movie would just benefit from a lot of that. It didn't win any Oscars. It didn't really win a lot of mainstream awards. So it would be nice to see Carol get a nice reappraisal in a world that I think is more open to it now than it might not have been in 2016. So Clown Carol, it's a great, great movie. You sold me. I've heard of this and it's something I need to see. It's a blind spot. So it, it's nice because usually you and I don't trade movies where afterwards I'm like, I'm going to actually go see that. You know, sometimes I text you a movie and I'm like, well, maybe he'll see that. But, you know, Apocalypse Now, just still, still collecting cobwebs in there. <laughs> Now I feel a little obligated that you're like, I'm going to go watch Moon. I'm going to go watch Carol. I'm like, God damn it. Now I have to go return the favor. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, my last movie as well. I'm here for the Criterion Collection. It's Children of Men. Ooh. 2006 film. Um, I would venture to say maybe, and I'm not saying it's the best movie of its decade, but maybe it's best made movie of its decade. The, the craft is absolutely undeniable from Emmanuel Lubetsky's cinematography to the visions of post-apocalyptic London, which have gone on to influence so many films. Um, I guess from what I've read just on Reddit and just kind of flirting around with the Criterion stuff on some of the boards is 
restoration is a weak reason to want to film in the collection, but I'd argue with that films like Uncut Gems or Marriage Story already being in there makes that kind of invalid. Um, another amazing Warner shot in this movie because I'm a huge fan of Warners. Everybody knows I don't like to keep the camera still, so I'd love to see some features on that. And remember Clive Owen? Do, do you remember Clive Owen? You know, that was a thing. He was like, guy, he's next level in this. Uh, give me a booklet with some essays in retrospect for this movie, especially given the times that we're living in now. Um, some behind the scenes for the production design, like I said, of London, that's just absolutely incredible. You can see it in The Creator. You can see it in District 9. Um, it's definitely something that's been influential on the futuristic sci-fi genre. Um, I once watched this for the action, but I watched it recently with Katie. It was her first time watching it. And I now watch it because it emotionally wrecks me. And I think that's a prime example of just growing up with your movies. And that's something that I also love about the Criterion Collection is like, like you said, it doesn't have to always be you know, some leveling piece of cinema it can be like, hey, I haven't seen that in five or six years, but that came out since I've been alive. I know that movie and it's great. So um, this is only has a 2K release on Blu-ray. That's one disc. So there's really not a lot of content with it again. That's what I was kind of trying to go for. Something that like, what's a movie that doesn't really have a great release that we can expand on? And I think this is a, a prime candidate. And a movie that I think has only grown with time. Uh, kind of to your point, not just for you, but I think a lot of people. I haven't seen Children of Men, so I guess I'll add this to my growing oh, list. You have to. Um, but a lot of people have come back to reappraise this movie. Like this is one of the best movies of of the two thousands. So it's a movie that I think would really benefit from being put back into the public consciousness, or at least the film consciousness, to be like, hey, remember Children of Men? This movie's awesome. Like, let's go back and revisit it. Let's talk about Julianne Moore. Let's talk about Clive Owen. Let's talk about Alfonso Cuaron. He directed that, right? So like, it'd just be great to kind of go back and revisit all of these. And I think that's the main point of all of this. It's like, these movies are not going to go in criteria. Try as we might, I don't think Nick and I and our 10 listeners are going to make a big enough push to actually make these movies go into the collection. But even if some of our listeners kind of go back and say, like, hey, I want to go watch this now. This does sound interesting. Or this movie does sound like something I would like. Go do it. Try it out. Totally. Yeah, we did it to each other. <laughs> we did it to each other. I have one more. I have one more. A sneaky pick. Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation. I just, I just <laughs> want someone to interview McConaughey. I just want to figure out what the fuck is with the view. It's all I mm. want. <laughs> if I could get a like, okay, so I have listened to the retro's commentary of this movie because I'm a sicko, all right, and that's mainly why I'm bringing this joke back. You also own this movie. <laughs> I do. I'm a sick man who I, we've already done an episode on this. It's completely irrational why I'm bringing this movie back up. No one knows what it is, but the director's commentary fucking stinks. It's Kim Henkel. It's the guy who plays W, and then it's just a modder who's like, yeah, Kim, um. What did, you, what did you think about this scene? Kimby's like, oh, yeah, this is about uh, puberty and women's puberty. Don't give a fuck. I just want McConaughey, okay? He has never explained the view, okay? In the interviews where he does, he's like, hey, that was a fun movie I was part of. And it's like, hey, Matt, you do one of the craziest sounds I've ever heard in a film. I want to know why. Okay, this is a little short story. This is how this, we're putting it at the very end of the episode. He has a book coming out soon, a children's book, Nick, okay? Devin and I... We're like, let's check that out because we went on a McConaughey rabbit hole and he's now like Tony Robbins. That's a whole other story. Um, yeah. And he's doing like a, a book tour for his book. And he was doing a book signing in Massachusetts. And Devin and I, again, sickos, were both like, that's not terribly expensive. That's not terribly far away. Gotta get that BU sign on that book. 
No. And we were both like, let's go, let's go meet McConaughey and let it let's ask him to be like, we know what you did. We know the view. You have to remember it. Why? That's all I want is why. But then we found out this motherfucker was not gonna be in person at the signing. He was Skyping in through like Zoom or whatever. Uh, that's tough. And so we did we did not buy the tickets. We did not waste our money. <laughs> Well, folks, there was a uh, there was a less than zero chance we would ever see Matthew McConaughey or have him on the podcast. I yeah, think we, but... we can put that into the negatives now. <laughs> yeah, so like he's doing it in California, but not mass. So be in, if you want. If okay, if we have a listener in California that is not far from where he's doing his book signings, there, look into it. Come back to me, and get me the view. Okay, that's the main <laughs> mission of this podcast for me. Is I want to figure that out. Um, but yeah, it'd just be weird if they're like, yeah, text chainsaw on the next generation. And one final note is I was going through Letterboxd to like just check back into this movie. There is a man named Aaron on Letterboxd. He wrote an 1,300 word review of this movie. And so, you know, it's just good to know I'm not the only sicko out there. So I don't know. Go re listen to that episode if you want to hear more about the stupid fucking movie that I hate. Well, folks, I think that just about does it for our Criterion Collection. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week, probably with our regular schedule programming. We're doing the gems. We're doing the gems next week. Oh, okay. Well, I thought we were going to spread that out, but again, this is a discussion oh, well, we can have off the podcast. Let's <laughs> <laughs> check out our Instagram road underscore dogs, underscore podcasts, like rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts road dogs out.